0: In January, I finished the book on the study of Ephesians, when I first started the study, I said it was because Ephesians was a concise teaching on who we are as Christians and how we are supposed to live. So what did we learn? When we receive Christ into our hearts, we discover many things about our new life. Of the many things Jesus did for us, These three are the ones that stand out the most to me. First, we were dead, and God has made us alive. Second, we were strangers, alienated from God, and he has now made us his children. Third, we discovered we were slaves, and God broke the chains of sin that enslaved us. Paul then said, now that we know who we are in Christ, these are the things that we should be doing about it. Again, there are many practical detailed commands, but there are four primary areas of responsibility Paul talks about in in Ephesians. He said, now that we know who we are as Christ, these things we should be doing about it. First, we must study Christ that we may know him and imitate him in our lives. Second, we must walk in love and show love to others as he showed love to us. Third, we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can break the the mold the world tries to conform us to. And fourth, we must put on the full armor of God and prepare for battle. Because when we turn to Christ for salvation, we discover we are now in a battle. And Satan is attacking us with all he has. Praise God, even though we are in a battle, God has already won the war. As I was finishing up the book of Ephesians, I started looking forward to the next book we should cover. When I first thought of the book of Hebrews, I didn't know if it was just my inclination. But as I've been preparing for this study, I have felt more and more God is leading me to teach this very important book. Hebrews, why Hebrews? Believe it or not, Hebrews is a natural follow-up to Ephesians. Ephesians tells us who we are as a church, Hebrews tells us where we came from. There is an awful lot of rich history in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews looks back to the Old Testament. Hebrews, like no other book in the New Testament, quotes scripture after scripture after scripture from the Old Testament. The verse that I chose for today to look at is Deuteronomy twenty-nine twenty-nine, and it says this the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law I know it seems strange to quote a verse from Deuteronomy when starting an introduction to the book of Hebrews Believe it or not, this will make sense. Actually, this verse reminds me of a saying I used to hear a teacher at New Brunswick Bible Institute say many times. His name was Bob Dowie, and he was a brilliant scholar. He taught Ephesians, Galatians, Hebrews, Romans. And each book he taught, he had memorized verse per verse. He had probably the entire New Testament memorized and significant portions of the Old Testament. Now, I'm remembering back 40 years, so this will be more of a paraphrase than a quote, but one of the things I heard him say many times was, I'm not so concerned about what I don't know about the Bible as I am what I do know. You see, what I do know about the Bible God is going to hold me accountable for. And that, in a nutshell, is a lot about what Hebrews is going to be telling us over and over. We are accountable. As I started preparing for this message, I went to the MacArthur Bible Handbook to research the background on the book of Hebrews. And it was rather interesting what I found out. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? You know, there's been debate over this, over the centuries. Was it Paul? Was it Peter? Was it Apollos? Was it somebody else? You know, and there's all this speculation. The answer to that is we don't know. And second, who were the people that w- this book was actually written to? Mark Arthur Bible Handbook sort of says, well, according to the internal language, it was most likely written to a group of Hebrew believers. The translation of this last statement is, well, we don't really know. And the third, when was it written? Again, because the book of Hebrews refers to ongoing sacrifices in Jerusalem, it was most likely written sometime before the temple was destroyed. Again, the translation is, well, we don't really know. So on the back of the scripture reading, you can fill in the blanks that we have there as follows. After author, only God knows. And after written to, only God knows. And finally, after date written, only God knows. And this brings us back to what I said in Deuteronomy twenty-nine, twenty-nine: The secret things belong to God. There's a point that he had for not telling us who wrote it, who precisely it was written to, and precisely when it was written. You see, God directed the author of Hebrews to craft it in a way to make some points. The first point, God wrote the book of Hebrews. He didn't want us to get tangled up with, oh, this is Paul, or this is Peter, or this is so-and-so. He wanted us to understand God is the author. So he didn't put a name to the actual person writing it. This is a good time to take a look at a couple of verses that address the issue of God's authorship of the Bible itself. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 say this, But know this, that first of all, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The first thing we must understand about the writing of the Scriptures is that it was not done just because the author wanted to write. For instance, Paul didn't write the book of Ephesians, just to say hi and give his opinion about how they should live their lives. First, God prompted Paul. And as Paul was writing, the Holy Spirit carried him through the process. It was a cooperation. Every word in Ephesians was Paul's to write in his own words. And the Holy Spirit carried him through. He did not say, Paul these are the exact words and I'm going to dictate them to you. Instead he gave Paul the understanding of what he wanted to get across. And then Paul wrote the letter. The end result? The process is an epistle written to the Ephesians with every word precisely as God wanted it. That's the amazing thing. Every book of the Bible was written that way. God carried them with his Holy Spirit. It's sort of an analogy like a ship where the wind is carrying it, but the rudder is steering it. And it ends up where it's supposed to go. The second verse is one we all recognize and probably memorized in our youth. Some of us have yet to memorize it. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, the original, the word translated inspired literally means God breathed. And I remember, you know, reading this and knowing this phrase, and many times over the year, but just recently, as I've been preparing for this message, the Lord gave me the idea to put two other verses together with this one to help us get a better understanding of just what it means when Paul says, All scripture is inspired the first is in Genesis Genesis 2.7 says this then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being let's imagine this for a minute God just finished speaking all these things into existence when he created the animals he just spoke and they were there When he created the birds of the air, he just spoke, and they were there. And same with the fish. He just spoke, and they were there. But then he gets to man. And he says, let's make man in our image. So he forms Adam out of the dust of the earth. Now he's standing there, and Adam is a body with no life in it. And what does he do? He breathes the breath of life into him. Man is created in the image of God not because of the shape of the clay. Man is created in the image of God precisely because he is a God-breathed living person. So when it says the scriptures are God-breathed, It's saying they are alive. And this bears out in Hebrews 4.12 where it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible is not made up of dead words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible is the only book which gives us new life in Christ. The first point God made by making an author unknown is God speaks. And that's very important for us to understand because that is one of the things that he starts off with in Hebrews. God spoke in times past. And now he speaks through his son. Next you'll see that the book of Hebrews was written to believers, but we really don't know who. Have you ever had the experience of being in a crowded room and someone on the other side of the room tries to get your attention and you're really not sure if it's you they're trying to talk to? First you look over your shoulder and you think maybe they're trying to get someone else's attention. Then you look back and you say, who, me? The book of Hebrews is going to make us feel this A lot. We are going to read certain portions of this book and have a hard time understanding and ask, Who, me? God's answer to this question is, Yes, you. God uses Hebrews, like no other book in the New Testament, to say, Look me in the eyes and pay attention. I remember my mom saying that to me many times, especially as a teenager. When I did something wrong and I just didn't want to listen, she'd say, look me in the eyes. I'm talking to you. And that's really what God is doing. He's saying to us, pay attention. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 say this, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. The book of Revelation closes with this warning to anyone who tries to change it. The book of Hebrews throughout warns of dire consequences to those who don't pay attention to its message. What about the third unknown? Why did God leave the time it was written so nebulous? I think the answer to that is based in the way we approach the Bible. I know there were many times when I was preparing for Ephesians, and I was reading the passage, and I thought, these people lived 2,000 years ago. How is this relevant today? God left the date of the book of Hebrews unknown to make this point. This message is timeless. So we see God is talking. Then we see God is talking to me. Finally we see God's message to me is relevant for today. The general editor of the NIV application commentary on the book of Hebrews, put it this way in his preface. preface. He starts off talking about the problem of why baby boomers don't go to church. He then talks about how they try to solve this problem with demographic studies and use the results to tell us we need to make church easier. We need a consumer-friendly church. He then finishes with this, and I quote, The real issue, of course, is to take a close look at what the unknown author of Hebrews prescribes to the early church to deal with this situation. No social science here. In fact, the prescription is almost pure theology. The message of Hebrews can be summed up in a single phrase. God speaks effectively to us through Jesus. That really is an important thing, and I think as we look at the book of Hebrews, we should remember this phrase, because this phrase really does sum up what God is getting across. God speaks effectively to us through Jesus. Before we look ahead to the broad strokes and some of the major themes in the book of Hebrews, I want to warn you, this is not going to be an easy exercise. There's going to be a lot of hard reading. This is a deep and difficult book. The book of Hebrews is milk, uh, is meat, not milk for babes. As a matter of fact, God tells us in Hebrews, grow up, stop drinking the milk, and start eating the meat. It is crucial to our spiritual growth that we become Diligent students of God's word. I'm making this promise to you that I will do my best to fulfill my responsibility as a teacher and be accurate, edifying and relevant in what God wants us to learn from Hebrews. I'm asking you for two things in return. First and most important, pray for me. That God will give me the strength and the answers and he will help us all to grow to who he wants us to be. Second, we need to all be diligent students. Being prepared for the message by studying the passage in advance. Writing down questions will help you get more out of it. In the vein of preparing for the message, I want us to read ahead. I'm asking all of you to look for those difficult passages and write down the difficult questions. And put them in the offering plate so that when the passage comes up, I will try to address them. I promise I won't embarrass anybody by saying so-and-so, ask such-and-such. I will just deal with the issue as it comes in context with the scriptures. Now to some of the broad themes from the book of Hebrews. The first and most important, of course, is Jesus. Hebrews exalts Jesus at every turn. This can be seen in the word better. First assignment, as you read through, highlight the word better. It is a key word in this book. Jesus is the subject of all the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is the final messenger. Jesus is a better message. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus made a better sacrifice. Jesus lived a better life. Jesus is a better high priest. These are all things Hebrews tells us. The point is Jesus is exalted and there's no way we can praise him too much. Another theme is encouragement. This book was written to a discouraged believers who were on the brink of apostasy. They were getting ready to throw it all away and go back to their old way of living. And the author of the Hebrews says, that's not what God wants for you. He encourages. The book of Hebrews also has many warnings. Hebrews warns us not to be complacent. It tells us of the danger of neglecting God's word. Hebrews also warns us of the danger of neglecting our intimate relationship with Christ. The book of Hebrews also tells us we are accountable. Hebrews warns us that we are accountable to God not only for ourselves, but for how well we encourage our fellow believers. We should not forget the great chapter of faith and the examples Hebrews sets before us to follow. Hebrews challenges us to move into a deeper relationship with Christ. And I just want to say this, no matter how deep you plumb the depths, you can always go deeper. we can always have a deeper relationship with Christ, no matter how deep we think our relationship may be. Hebrews warns us that we need to prepare for persecution. On this theme, I want to make a side note. In America, we may not feel a strong pressure of persecution because we're not seeing people thrown in jail or having their property confiscated. And we may ask, how is this relevant to me? First, I want to say there are Christians that this is happening to, and we should be praying for them. But second, there is what I call overt and there is covert persecution. We have been experiencing it, even if we're not fully aware. The kind of persecution we see is very subtle. The message is crafted very carefully. To cultivate an attitude, they believe in God. You can't take them seriously. Jesus told us, if you believe in me, the world will hate you and will persecute you. The book of Hebrews reminds us, take Jesus seriously when he said, you will be persecuted. Hebrews will understand how better to abide in Christ. Hebrews guides us into an insight of the Bible as a whole and encourages us in systematic theology. I've been reading R.C. Sproul's book Everyone is a Theologian. His opening chapters talk about how today's Christians have stopped thinking in terms of theology saying, I don't need theology, I just need to know Christ. The primary problem with that statement is, as we've learned in Ephesians, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The only way for us to do that is to study the scriptures and let the Holy Spirit change us from within. Theology is the study of God, or as the word theology breaks down, it is the logos of the theos. Where have we seen this before? John one one in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the was with God and the word was God. Now I'm going to read this, substituting logos for word and theos for God. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with Theos, and the Logos was Theos. So theology, the study of God. If you're studying the Bible, you're studying God. So theology is a very important subject. If you're studying about Jesus, you're studying theology. So when we study the Bible, whenever whether we like it or not, we are engaged in theology. Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that spends a large portion of its time looking back to the Old Testament and using them to provide relevant insight into New Testament theology. Boy, that's a mouthful. <laughs> in other words, God takes the, he- the book of Hebrews like a giant ribbon and he wraps the Old and New Testaments together and ties them together into this great big bow and he hands it to us and he says this is all yours. He's tying the Old and New Testaments together in the book of Hebrews. I think it's interesting to see where Hebrews ended up. First we have the Gospels telling us about the life, the ministry, and the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Then you have Acts telling us the birth of the church and all the great epistles and their doctrine and theology. Then comes Hebrews like a giant colon in a sentence. Stop, look back, reflect on all those people who lived by faith in the past. See, Hebrews doesn't just look back to the Gospels. It looks back to David, to Moses, to all the prophets, and all the things that happened way back then, and says, these people are relevant to us today. So we look back, and then (coughs) it says that Many were persecuted. Many were killed for their faith. They were rewarded for their steadfast walk under great pressure. See, that's one of the things that Hebrews is, is dealing with also, is living under pressure. Hebrews encourages us to walk in faith and to be steadfast in our relationship with Christ so that we too may enter into that rest. After the colon comes more encouragement to be steadfast and to walk in love. And finally, the book of Revelation, which looks forward to when Christ returns. So Hebrews is there. Let's take a breath. Take encouragement from those people, that cloud of witnesses that have lived their lives before us. Let us look at them as an example and then plunge deep and pay close attention to our relationship with Christ because it's not going to get any better until he returns. In closing, I want us all to remember we will be studying some hard-to-understand passages in Scripture. As an encouragement, I want to read this quote from R.C. Sproul's Everyone is a Theologian. As I engage in systematic theology, I never cease to be amazed by the specific intricate coherence of the scope of divine revelation. Systematic theologians understand that each point in theology addresses every other point. When God speaks, every detail he utters has an impact on every other detail. That is why our ongoing task is to see how all of the pieces fit together into an organic, meaningful, and consistent whole. My goal for us in studying the book of Hebrews is for us to gain a better understanding of how the Old Testaments fit together with the New Testament to create a meaningful whole. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace for us. We thank you for the message that you have given to us, not just in the New Testament, but in all of your Bible in all of the things you've told us, from Genesis to Revelation. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to truly seek to understand who you are and seek to grow and be more like you and seek to be diligent students of your Word, that we may know who you are and what you want in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And we have a closing hymn.